0: Episode 189 of the Read to Lead podcast is brought to you by cloud accounting software FreshBooks, offering a 30-day free trial, including every feature FreshBooks has to offer. To find out more about it, freshbooks.com slash read to lead and enter read to lead. And the how did you hear about us section.
1: It's not that you have a brilliant idea and you execute it. It's that you fumble around for quite a while. And then, then it's in the fumbling that you're like, oh, wait a minute. And you find your clarity. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff.
0: Hi there. I am happy to have you back for another edition of the podcast that's dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where we dig into leadership and, of course, personal development, plus productivity, career, business, marketing, sales, entrepreneurship, and a whole lot more. Now, in a moment, you and I are going to be joined by a former Read to Lead guest by the name of Dory Clark. She last visited us a couple of years ago to talk about a book called Stand Out. There's a link to that conversation in the show notes page for this episode. More on that later. She is the author also of a brand new book called Entrepreneurial You, Monetize Your Experience, Create Multiple Income Streams, and Thrive. And I'm going to ask Dory to share her thoughts on why being good at what you do and well known isn't enough to succeed financially in today's world, reasons to consider launching a side business even if you have no plans of leaving your regular job, tips and techniques for monetizing what you know, and plenty more. Helping make the podcast free each and every week, our friends at Cloud Accounting Software, FreshBooks, a service that I've been using since late last decade. And it's one of the reasons why I'm very excited to have had them alongside me as a sponsor for about the last 18 or 19 months now. I was just looking at my FreshBooks dashboard Uh, just a moment ago. I had some uh, questions in my mind about where things were at. And instantly from my dashboard, I see my profit for the year thus far. I see my spending. So far for the year in as many as 10, 11, or 12 different categories, I can click a button for advanced reports ranging from profit and loss to expense reports, uh, accounts, aging, payments collected. And at the very top, I see any outstanding revenue, invoices that haven't come in yet, including overdue invoices. And so with a glance, I know everything I need to know from a financial perspective about my business. I'm a big believer in FreshBooks cloud accounting software and if you 're a freelancer or running a side business or uh, considering your own entrepreneurial journey as Dory and I will talk about in more depth in a moment then I encourage you to check out the 30 day free trial from freshbooks it 's as simple as going to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and entering read to lead in the how did you hear about us section that address again. It's freshbooks.com slash read to lead. I hope you'll check it out today. Dori Clark is the author of the books Reinventing You and the book Stand Out, which was named the number one leadership book of 2015 by Inc. Magazine, one of the top 10 business books of the year by Forbes, and was a Washington Post bestseller as well, I'm sure, no doubt aided by her appearance earlier that year on the Read to Lead podcast. Uh, A former presidential campaign spokeswoman, Dory teaches at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. She's a frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review and is a consultant and speaker for clients like Google, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and the World Bank. And she also produced a multiple Grammy-winning jazz album. Her new book out now is called Entrepreneurial You, Monetize Your Expertise, Create Multiple Income Streams, and Thrive. And I am thrilled and delighted to have her back on the Read to Lead podcast. Story, welcome.
1: Jeff, thank you so much.
0: Well, I got to ask first, and I think I remember seeing a little bit of buzz about this uh, earlier this year. Uh, Tell me more about this this Grammy-winning jazz album you were a part of. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well thank you. This was this was a, a pretty big thrill for me and an unexpected one because mm. I I am not coming at this because uh because of my great musical talent, let me assure you. <laughs> <laughs> I got involved in the project actually as a result. This is uh, you know, kind of a I I, I think an inspiring story for uh for business people. I, I really got involved in the project through networking. Mm. I have a good friend named Kabir Siegel who is a actually a fellow business author, Uh, but he's actually someone that that knows a lot about jazz and is very involved in the jazz world. And we got to be friends, and I ended up doing him a favor, essentially, by connecting him to another colleague who became a good collaborator of mm. his, and essentially as a thank you, he brought me in on this project that ended up uh, winning two Grammys. Wow. So it was uh, it was really remarkable, you know, getting to go to to the Grammys, getting to go up on mm. stage. Uh, so it was something I I never expected would happen.
0: Well, not only is that an incredible story, I think um, uh, Dory's story from from working a traditional job to becoming an entrepreneur is a compelling one as well. Dory, share a bit about what the early years of that transition looked like for you.
1: Really, the the first uh, the first time I got kind of kicked onto the path of hmm. of entrepreneurship, although I it, it took me a little while longer to actually operationalize. But but really, the first chink in the armor was that I was a journalist. That was my first job out of graduate school. And I assumed that I would probably just be a journalist forever. I had sort of mapped out this plan in my head. You know, you sort of go from from the weekly to the daily and from the smaller city to the bigger city. And, you know, then you have a, a great career. And uh, it did not work out that way. I was hired at, the you know, kind of the peak of the news industry. People forget now because mm. it seems like it's just been in perennial decline. But I was hired in 2000, which actually was the best year on record hmm. for the for the newspaper industry. I mean, they were just rolling in advertising dollars. And then We also forget how suddenly things can change. The tides turned, and in 2001, just a year later, I ended up getting laid off, and I was really part of that early wave of layoffs, which has now, for the past 15 years, just been a consistent drumbeat. Uh, But unfortunately, the day that they chose to lay me off was Monday, September 10th, 2001. And so the next day was, needless to say, not a good day to be looking for a job. The world had changed. People were terrified. So I I realized in that moment that was kind of the first time that I – realized what it meant to be insecure in one's career, in one's finances. They gave me less than less than a week's severance pay. They gave me four <laughs> days severance pay. Uh, so I had I had to find something really fast. And that was part of what later propelled me onto the path of entrepreneurship and, and realizing that the things that many of us have grown up and been told are, are the safest are mm. in fact not always.
0: Expound, if you would, on something you say early in the book, while you believe being excellent at what you do and even well-known in your field on their own are no longer enough to succeed financially.
1: Something strange and interesting has happened over the past 20-ish years Hmm. that the Internet has been in our lives, and that is – we used to have pretty straightforward means of people making money, right? So I was a journalist, and I would write articles, and then get paid for writing the articles. It was pretty, pretty simple. Everyone can get that. Um, but what has increasingly happened in this kind of post gatekeeper era is that performing a task has become really decoupled from how you earn your money. Mm. And so interestingly enough, I mean, today I actually in many ways perform the function of a journalist. I spend a lot of my time blogging, you know, writing articles for the Harvard Business Review, other places. I get paid zero mm. for that. And if that was the end of the story, oh, you used to get paid for articles and now you get paid nothing for articles. <laughs> this this would be a pretty sad story. Um, but the truth is what I have learned to do and what one has to learn to do, because it's a little counterintuitive, is to understand to borrow a phrase from the internet theorist doc Searles, you shift from making money from something into making money because of something and so for instance i might write an article for the harvard business review i get paid 0 but then uh, and this this has happened actually many times let's say a uh, someone who's putting on a conference reads that article and they say oh well we need someone to talk about that at our conference let's let's hire dory and then they pay me 15 grand and it's a lot more than I would ever get paid for <laughs> writing an article. So I, I think that uh, you know not everybody knows how to make that shift, and so one of the reasons that I wrote Entrepreneurial You was to try to help people understand the ways the new ways that you can monetize around your expertise.
0: Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had on the show, again, Patrick McGinnis, who, who wrote a book called The 10% Entrepreneur.
1: Well, I'm having dinner with Mr. Patrick McGinnis two nights. Oh, no so, kidding. <laughs> yeah, great minds think alike, Jeff. Browning.
0: That's awesome. Tell him, tell him I said hello. I will. Uh, well, what would you say then about somebody who doesn't desire to leave their employer? They're going to hang on to that regular job for as long as they can. Are, are there still some benefits to developing entrepreneurial pursuits in in the meantime?
1: Absolutely. I, I actually think that this the need may be even more acute mm. for people who are not full time entrepreneurs. Because, you know, you may have a, a day job you love, something you want to stay in forever. Amazing. Go for that. That is that is great. But it is Uh, always useful, I say, as someone who has been laid off, to have a plan B, to just have something in your back pocket. And that is useful, of course, because if, you know, God forbid, something happens, Mm. you have something that you can shift to. But also, in many ways, it is a real asset to you in terms of building new skills, building new connections, and kind of freeing you up it, it's it's a lot easier not to have to be a yes man if you feel like mm-hmm. you have some options in your life. And so I'll give you a quick example from the book, Entrepreneurial You. I love this uh, story. I profile a guy named Lenny Achon. And Lenny, so he started his career as a nurse, actually, mm-hmm. at a hospital. And he ended up becoming the head of communications for the whole hospital system, mm-hmm. which is a, a very unusual career path for a nurse. But the way that he did it was that he, he just kind of had an entrepreneurial bent. He didn't want to be a full-time entrepreneur, but, but he was interested in entrepreneurial stuff. He especially got captivated with the idea of smartphone apps, and so he figured out how to create them and he ended up creating and launching two of them. So eventually, his boss finds out about this side pursuit and calls Lenny into his office, wants to talk to him about it. Lenny is, is kind of freaks out because he, he thought, oh no, you know, did I do something wrong? Was there some policy I didn't know about? What is it? But that wasn't it at all. His boss said, Lenny, we need someone to run social media for the hospital. Mm. I think it should be you. Because he was so impressed with the initiative that Lenny had Shown in teaching himself this stuff and figuring out how to do it, and Lenny ended up doing so well at it. They gave him the whole portfolio of running communications. So having a side pursuit, I mean, yeah, it's a way to make money, but it's uh, it's also a way to build your skills and to really demonstrate to people in a tangible way that you are a leader.
0: And not that we're uh, sort of uh, poo pooing the idea of working a traditional job per se. Uh, I think you and I have both come to the conclusion that what we want once thought as being really risky, that being considering being an entrepreneur is actually less so uh, in today's world than working a traditional job.
1: Yeah, that's that's right. And I I think that what lies at the bottom of it, Jeff, is the fact that we all know. I mean, anybody who knows anything about money has been told that when you're making investments, you don't want to put all your money in one stock. Mm -hmm. Right. Like everybody knows that. But Ironically, at the other end of the spectrum, you know, how we're earning our money, that's exactly what many people are doing because they're earning their entire salary from one place and, you know, they can turn off that spigot anytime. And so that's why it is so useful to have a side income stream just just as you know, sort of an an extra thing to experiment with. Mm -hmm. Another person that I profile in Entrepreneurial You, now well-known in podcasting circles, is a guy named Pat Flynn, who has a a podcast called Smart Passive Income. And his first entrepreneurial venture, he actually started it as a a side project. He worked originally uh, in architecture, and he was trying to pass uh, the LEED exam, which is a, a green building exam. It's kind of hard and difficult to pass. And so he created a blog to essentially just work through how to pass the exam. He was you know, writing a blog with study tips, kind of encapsulating the things he was learning, etc. So he put it up there, and he realized that it could be just a nice, helpful thing for other people. No real plans to monetize it, but after a while, he, he took the test, passed it, and he thought, you know, I wonder if there's some people that instead of reading all of this as a blog, you know, just in all these individual posts, it might be more convenient for them if I put it into a book. And I wonder if anyone would buy it as an ebook. And so he figured, you know, why not? Let's just try it out. So he put, you know, if this is all publicly available information like he mm-hmm. had already published everything on his blog for free. But he's like, you know, it might be convenient. I'll, I'll just make an ebook and see what happens. So he puts it up there his first month that he has it. He he makes seven thousand nine hundred dollars in sales, which was double what he made at the architecture firm, and it actually turned out to be a lifeline for him because this was two thousand eight, and that month he got laid off from his job, and he would have been in a really difficult place, but because the ebook was doing so well, it actually gave him the courage to say, "Gosh, you know, maybe I should try to do more with this," and mm. so that that put him on the path of online entrepreneurship, but it really came from just a a little side bet that he was running that he never thought could become a full-time thing.
0: And and this goes to what you talk about, I think it's in Chapter 2 of the book, Becoming a Trusted Source.
1: Yeah, absolutely, because of course, you know, people are not going to want to buy anything online from somebody that they they don't have trust for. (laughs) Um, Obviously, that is true if you're selling a high-ticket product or service, but honestly, even if you're you know, whatever a two dollar little miniature widget, we all look right on uh, on Amazon, on eBay to see what the seller ratings are. That's mm-hmm. a form of trust. You you're a little skeptical if there's somebody that has no ratings and you just don't know anything about them. And so, for all of us, it is incumbent on us, regardless of of whatever. We ultimately hope to to sell or be in the marketplace to take the time. This is usually through free content over time, free, high quality content of letting people know who we are, you know, putting our stake in the ground so that people can say, oh, you know, I like what this Jeff guy does. He makes a lot of sense. I like his style. Yeah, he's somebody I could do business with. And then later, it makes it a lot easier for you to make sales when the moment is right, because people already know and like and trust you.
0: Well, as the uh, title of Dory's book uh, suggests, after uh, helping you build your brand in part one of the book, she explores monetization in part two. And Dory, I think uh, most of us at, at first are, are kind of uncomfortable with the idea of charging others for what we know. At least I know I was. Uh, share some of what you went through and learned on the road to getting more comfortable with that idea.
1: Yeah, well, pricing is a, a really tricky topic for for all new and aspiring mm. entrepreneurs, I mean, it's it's essentially the place where the rubber meets the road mm. in terms of, um, you know, what's what's your value? <laughs> how, how good are you? These are some uh, some kind of fraught mm. questions that people need to answer. And uh, and so it, it can be very tricky. Um, certainly for me, I was just floundering. I had no idea because I was going into the This business about you know marketing and communications, and it was not something that I had actually done before. I had done pieces of it, you know, as like a you know as a journalist or working in politics, but I had never actually run or worked at a consulting business doing this. So I had no idea about pricing. So I literally was was making it up. I I thought about um, what my acupuncturist charged, and I thought, well. I'm willing to pay that. So I guess other people would be willing to pay that. <laughs> oh, but I should probably charge less just in case. And it's just like ridiculous. You end up working for these like tiny slivers of money. Mm. And so, you know, eventually over time, I got my act together and was able to earn a good salary. But it's 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 very hard to, to get a sense for what's right. So I actually have a chapter in entrepreneurial you called the courage to monetize because in, in many ways, it really is an act of
0: courage. Mm. Yeah. And that was one of my, one of my favorites because uh, even though I'm past that, I still have these hangups occasionally that rear their ugly head. Yes. Uh, and it's good, you know, the, 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 the doubting voices, the imposter syndrome, all that stuff. Well, assuming we've made it past the uh, mental hurdles, what, what are some of the more traditional and fairly universal ways, Dory, we can consider monetizing what we know and, and have learned that you that you cover in the book?
1: Yeah, so so some of the, the ways that I, I suggest people, if they're just getting started, might consider monetizing uh, – I mean – you know, there's, there's a world of options, but some are a little more complicated than others. Some require you to have already built up a following. And so some easy ones that I actually like to suggest to people if they're just you know, sticking their their toe in the water is something like consulting or coaching because, uh, first of all, there's there's no startup fees, right? I mean, presumably people have a you know a, a laptop or something. That's really all you need, <laughs> um, and you don't have to have ten thousand followers to start a coaching business. You need to have you know a few friends, you know, someone who's who's willing to say, yeah, you know, I would like to to learn that from you. And so I think a good starting place, and this is something that. I actually talk about in depth in a sidebar in entrepreneurial. You is to actually start out by looking at what people are already coming to you for. Um, Sometimes people wonder, well, what could I possibly even do? Uh, But it you know it doesn't it doesn't necessarily even have to relate to your day job, although it could. But for almost everybody, you are probably considered by your friends a local expert in something, Hmm. you know, maybe it's that you work out all the time. And so you really are knowledgeable about, you know, creating a workout routine or, Oh, you know, I don't really understand. I have, you know, I've been trying to break through, but I, um, you know, I keep not losing that five pounds. What can I do? You know, Maybe that's the thing. Or maybe you have really great taste. And so your friends always want to bring you shopping with them because you can always find the, the right outfits for people. I mean, whatever it is, that's actually a starting point. And You know, early on, it's not about creating some incredibly lucrative sideline for yourself. Early on, it's really just about getting validation Mm. that this is something that you like to do and that other people are willing to pay you, even just a little bit of money for, so you can just test out the product market fit. So, if you can get in your first month, if you can get a friend or two to pay you 25 bucks an hour for some kind of coaching, that is a win you you are a coach now. You are doing this. And you can, you can level up from there. You can get more clients. You can raise your rates. But you need to get that early practice in so that you are just getting some momentum. You start to know what you're doing. And you can begin to build on that.
0: You admit at one point in the book to not really taking seriously the thought of leveraging online methods for monetizing your expertise. What began to turn that around for you, Dorian? And how have you managed to up your online game, so to speak?
1: Yeah, the the way that I sort of evolved in terms of my thinking, I had a pretty traditional business when I launched I was doing consulting and that, that was about it for, for a long time just marketing strategy consulting and then eventually I sort of expanded out once I was once I was able to um, in you know once once the, the powers that be deemed me worthy <laughs> as a result of my platform building um, I was able to get a book contract so I started to get some money to write books and then I um, began to get paid speaking engagements uh, again once the book was published mm. and therefore had more credibility. So those were great. I I loved expanding out into new income streams, but those are relatively traditional ways of doing it. Online marketing was something that I honestly really hadn't even considered, mostly because, uh, especially kind of in the the early days, it just has a little bit of a scammy reputation sometimes. (laughs) You know, you just, uh, you see all these people and they're kind of like maybe one step up from the Nigerian princes and it's just, oh, you know, make ten thousand dollars a day instantly. (laughs) And you're like, come (laughs) on. And I just I didn't want to be associated with that. I was really trying to carve out a premium brand in the marketplace. I mean my publisher is Harvard Business Review Press. You know, I'm speaking for large corporations. I didn't I didn't want to be dealing with a lot of charlatan type stuff but what I came to realize is that that was kind of excessively narrow view like anything else a a channel you know and channels can be good used for good purposes or bad purposes and you just have to get clear about that and so I realized that I was I was really missing an opportunity and so I began to look into other ways of leveraging the online world so now I actually have eight different income streams. You know, one of them is an online course, which you know I market through my email list. I do affiliate and joint venture promotions sometimes, so that's a form of, mm. of online marketing. You know, and and there's and there's plenty of other downstream things that are fueled by that. So for instance, I do, I've started in the last year or so exper- experimenting with live events, uh, but that's entirely populated by people who find out about it from my email list. So I think there's a lot of power in it and I, I really wanted to make the case to people that we shouldn't be writing it off out of hand, that there are ways to do it right, there are ways to do it ethically, even for you know very serious business people.
0: It's interesting just to see how establishing yourself online can connect you so readily and doing, a, say for example, a podcast where you're interviewing people it is a fantastic networking tool and I, I was delighted to see just how many people I've had a chance to to rub shoulders with that you talked about in the book because you know I took that leap of of faith that one day and decided to put myself out there. I did. I blogged for years, Dory, under under a, a, a pseudonym, under another name, mm. because I was afraid. Of attaching, you know, my name to my ideas publicly.
1: Mm, yeah, that's that's interesting and powerful because it depends what your goal is, right? I mean, mm. some people originally uh, in the in the blog world, one of the big sites was called Live Journal for a reason because a lot <laughs> of people treated it like a journal, like oh, <laughs> let me let me t- tell you this combination of TMI, uh, excessive <laughs> stuff, and then really boring grocery list <laughs> stuff, and, and it's like, well, you know, yeah, no. That's that's just not useful for anybody. But as blogging has kind of matured, it's it's come to be more about well, how do you how do you help the audience? Right. You know what 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 is useful to them? Um, but there's still even when that's the focus, you're absolutely right. For a lot of people, there's something that that can kind of hold you back a little bit about you know even if you're you're creating something that is. Ho- hoping and intending to be useful uh, f- for other folks is a little bit of like, oh, what if they don't like it? <laughs> and uh, but we can't start reaping the rewards until until we're out there. You know, mm. we we can't we can't start building relationships with Jeff Brown until we know who Jeff Brown is.
0: <laughs> right, right excellent book I, I I devoured it over the weekend it's the second of Dory's three books that I've read I have to go back and uh, dig into reinventing you but talk about the trilogy that are these three books and how they how they connect to one another
1: yeah thank you I I, I did you know not not necessarily in in the moment right I, mm-hmm. I one one of the points that I really make about entrepreneurship which I think is a little bit of a myth is that sometimes people think they have to have this like brilliant idea and then they just go execute it and <laughs> And the truth is, most people absolutely do not come up with their ideas that way. It's not that you have a brilliant idea and you execute it. It's that you fumble around for quite a while, and th- and then mm. then it's in the fumbling that you're like, oh wait a minute, <laughs> and you find you find your clarity. And so I was I had written Standout, my my most recent past book and i was starting to think about entrepreneurial you and it was it was in that moment that i'm like oh this is like the capstone. This is like the culminating piece. This is a trilogy, and uh, you know, I, I, it's not like I set out to write the Lord of the Rings, but it kind of <laughs> came to me partway through. But but they do really fit together as as pieces of how people, I think, can make uh, a good, successful career in the modern economy. So reinventing you is is the first step. It's about how do you reinvent yourself into the job or the career that you want, and then stand out answers the next question, which is. Well, okay, if you're there, how do you establish yourself as being among the best in your field? How do you build a brand? How do you build a reputation? How do you become a recognized expert? Mm. And then finally, entrepreneurial you is about uh, perhaps the most important question of all, which is, all right, chief, how do you make <laughs> money at it? <laughs>
0: Well, I have a, a couple of questions, Dory, I want to ask you that are not directly related to the book, if we have time. Um, before I do that, are there anything else about the book you want to make sure we know?
1: We have we have covered so much ground, Jeff. <laughs> this is great. No, let's roll.
0: All right. Well, I want you to think about books you've read uh, over the years or, or maybe more recently that have had an impact on you and share how or why those books have impacted you as they have. The, the ones you kind of go back to again and again.
1: I, I would say that... Um you know a, a, a big one that was important to me when i was when i was first starting out was the the myth revisited by michael gerber because mm. when i started out i think there's kind of a little bit of a mindset shift that 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 happens because i think i, I kind of thought of myself as like oh i i'm a small business owner and that's kind of a different thing than thinking of yourself as, a, as an entrepreneur. And it kind of clicked into place in reading the book that, uh, you know, the key point that he that he makes is really like, you have to get clear about the business aspects Mm -hmm. of your business not just the oh i'm like a craftsman and i do this little craft it's like yeah well that's nice but you're not going to be very successful if you don't understand at a macro level how your business operates you can't just be like tinkering in the basement all day um and you know literally or metaphorically Mm -hmm. and so i think it kind of snapped me into place to really think of it as no this is a serious entrepreneurial venture and um I think it's it's a, just a very useful framework. When I think about recent stuff that I've read, one of the things that I, I really enjoyed, I, I made a deliberate effort last year, 2016, to, I, I felt like I had gotten like kind of way too in the weeds mm. on business books, uh, although I love them. Uh, and so I decided that I was going to very consciously try to also cultivate other Skills and hobbies, and so I focused a lot on both um, theater and comedy. You know, both of which oh. are in uh, prevalent supply here in New York, where <laughs> I live. And so I read a bunch of good books. And so you know, some of the ones that that are kind of on my list. Uh, Born Standing Up by Steve Martin oh, was yeah, a fantastic book. Um, really, really good. Um, I read a, uh, a book about theater called The Secret Life of American Musicals. Mm. And that was kind of a really good overview and compendium of, uh, of like musical theater history. Just kind of good cultural literacy stuff. Uh, I read a, uh, a great book called We Killed by a woman named Yael Cohen. That's a book about women in comedy that mm. I thought was really terrific. Terrific. So those were some some good ones that kind of expanded me in different directions.
0: You know, Born Standing Up, uh, I loved that book in part because I I listened to it and and to have Steve Martin read it to you was just a real treat.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's
0: nice. (laughs) Well, I I know you do a ton of public speaking and you're very good at it. And so I would love to ask if you wouldn't mind sharing maybe a couple of tips for those who who also want to get better at uh, delivering a public talk.
1: Yeah, when it when it comes to public speaking, I mean, for me, actually, I and I think probably for for everybody, um, certainly just just uh, exposure mm. and practice is the key thing. The way that I was really able to. Um, essentially desensitize myself. I think a big a big part of it is desensitizing your nervous response mm. was teaching. I did a lot of undergraduate teaching for a number of years. I now do business school teaching for the Fuqua School of Business at Duke, but especially the undergrad teaching. I mean it was it was kind of relentless. For one school, Emerson College that I taught at, I would do these four credit classes, which in their world meant that you met for four hours per week, mm. and so the classes were 6 to 10 p.m., mm. and it was mm. just absolutely brutal, and so I, I learned so much in having to entertain these kids, you know, from 6 to 10 at night, <laughs> and, uh, and so – you kind of you you practice. You you definitely fail. You know sometimes <laughs> they are they are just checked out, and so you uh, you kind of learn some some different techniques for how to do that. So a I would just say as much practice as you can get in teaching is actually a very good way to do it. But one technique that I will mention in particular that I think is useful and comes in handy for me sometimes is about the use of of silence and quietness. Hmm. There is a tendency if you feel like you are losing the audience to want to kind of speed it up and, mm. and talk louder and you know just like like ah, you know kind of the equivalent of like waving your arms to get their <laughs> attention. Um, but actually something that often works better is the reverse of that, mm. which is where you slow down and you get a little quieter. And you almost force them to lean in, to hear what you're saying. And they're not used to that, right? Because they're used they're used to a certain beat, a certain <laughs> cadence. And so if you're slowing down in such a way that they're like, wait, what is this? You know, oh, is this important? <laughs> then you kind of snap them back to life. And so quietness and slowing down is in some ways a way that you can reel back an audience that you may have lost.
0: Well, I can certainly attest to all of that. The practice especially, I, I too teach a college uh, that's weekly. It wasn't or isn't, I should say, quite as draining as your situation. Mine's six to nine pm, not six uh, to ten pm. <laughs> yes. But, what do you teach, Jeff? <laughs> actually, uh, it's a podcasting course, introduction to podcasting Ooh,
1: where do Where do they teach podcasting? That's so cool. Uh,
0: this is at uh, Middle Tennessee State University. Uh, it's oh, uh, yeah. in a town called Murfreesboro, east of Nashville. It's the largest university in the in the state.
1: Yeah, I actually co-authored a paper with an MTSU professor.
0: Oh actually. okay. I didn't know that.
1: Yeah, she's uh, she is really great. Her name is Jackie. Oh, my gosh. It's embarrassing. I'm going to look it up right now. (laughs) But anyway, Jackie's fantastic. Uh, Jackie Gilbert. There we go. Um, Yeah. If you ever run into her, she's uh, she's a cool lady.
0: Well, let me ask you finally, uh, Dory, if you know, I know the book's uh, at this point been out for less than a month, I think. Um, uh, what, what's next for you? What are you and your your team working on now that, that you're excited about? Or are you just kind of decompressing for now?
1: <laughs> uh, not yet in the decompression mode. <laughs> um, I, I figured that that basically – I just kind of wrote it off that like almost through the end of the year, it's going to be very intense with book mm. launch things because, you know, you only have one chance to get that sucker out. Right. So, um, so really for about another month, uh, through about Thanksgiving, I'm going to be working very hard at just launch things doing, I mean, this week it's about between four and five podcasts a day, mm. you know, it's wow. a pretty, pretty intense pace, but but after Thanksgiving, it, it does slow back down. And really, what I'm planning to shift into for, for 2018, um, it's a, I, I very much believe in having businesses run on rhythms that, mm-hmm. you know, where people get in trouble is just trying to push so hard all the time. And so I think the, the real issue is you have to know when to push. And certainly in your launch, you know, that's the time you got it. You got to do it. You got to turn on the burners. But uh, for 2018, I am planning to really make it an optimization year. And so I am not going to launch a new book. I'm not going to write a new book. Mm -hmm. I am just going to focus on a course called the recognized expert course. I also have some uh, less intense courses, uh, one called Be More Productive, another one called the Rapid Content uh, Creation Masterclass. Mm. And uh, so, you know, creating better funnels uh, for those things and optimizing the existing resources.
0: Well, that's excellent. I want to make sure everybody knows uh, where to find that information. We'll, of course, have a a link in the show notes page, but it's doryclark.com. The book, again, is Entrepreneurial You, Monetize Your Expertise, Create Multiple Income Streams, and thrive. I loved it. And so did folks like Daniel Pink, James Altucher, and Allie Brown, among others, who said so right on the very back. Uh, Thank you again, Dory, so much for being a part of the show. It was a delight to, to have you back yet again.
1: Jeff, you are the best. Thank you so much. I'll just mention quickly, if folks want to get a free uh, self-assessment mm-hmm. that I created for Entrepreneurial you, they can get it at doryclark.com slash entrepreneur. It's a, a way of, uh, of really thinking about how to build multiple income streams into your own business and your own life. And it is always a pleasure to talk to you. Nice
0: for quick access to the links and resources dory and i talked about including that previous conversation with dory back in 2015 you can visit the show notes page for this episode you'll find that at read to lead com slash 189 for episode 189 as dory and i discussed building your network is key to this process and to that end I want to recommend a relatively new podcast from my friend Travis Chappell and it's called appropriately the Build Your Network Podcast. You can find out more about Travis and his podcast at buildyournetwork.co. That's buildyournetwork.co. And Travis says that each episode is geared toward you, the aspiring professional, and is designed to help you uncover the secrets of networking in order to push you to the next level of success in your life. Consider this, he says, the ultimate guide to growing your inner circle, increasing your influence, and as importantly as anything, helping other people. If you believe that who you know is more important than what you know and that purposeful and persistent networking is crucial to accomplishing your goals in any area of life, Travis says, then this is the podcast for you. Again, you'll find out more about it at buildyournetwork.co. I encourage you to check out that free 30-day trial from our sponsor, FreshBooks. You can do so by going to freshbooks.com slash read to lead and be sure to enter read to lead in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Five Tuesdays in October means five read to lead episodes. If you missed any of those, be sure and go back to check out episodes from the past four or five weeks, including conversations with actor Alan Alda, Donald Miller, Shane Hughes, Patrick McGinnis, and Clay Scroggins. Well, that's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the next episode of the Read to Lead podcast.
1: Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead.